Dateline, June 13th, 2019. The Dub Talk Podcast, hot off their recent campaign to reveal the latest English dubs, enters into the spring season with gusto. Having taken Robbie Hachi and Kono Oto Tomare by storm, the crew decided upon the fantasy epic fairy gone as their next campaign. Episode host Roots of Justice had this to say. Warning, the Dub Talk Podcast may contain content that isn't suitable for children. Listener discretion is advised. He continued his speech with a brief warning for the troops. This episode contains spoilers up to episode 6 of Farygon, and possibly other shows as well. Do be advised as you listen. And some last-minute encouragement for the fight ahead. As always, the Dub Talk podcast contains opinions that belong to the individual participants, and not the Dub Talk podcast as a whole. I can't speak for certain, but in this humble broadcaster's honest opinion, I think this is a battle we can win. Go get em, boys! Fairy soldiers, and welcome to Dub Talk, a show where a bunch of nerds get together and inspect and investigate a recent English dub. Tonight, we take a peek at the black dubbing tome and delve into the secrets of the not quite steampunk dark fantasy, Fairy Gone. Joining me today, we have Agent Lack. Hello, everybody. And Agent Hardy. So, when do we break for donuts and coffee again? <laughs> And I, of course, am Agent Roots, and as mentioned, today, this episode will be covering Fairy Gone, the recent collaboration between PA Works, the director of parts one through three of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, and, of all people, the author, not not the scriptwriter for, uh, for the anime, like, this is the actual author of Grimgar Fantasy and Ash. Oh, interesting. Who did the scripts for this uh, series. Might explain a few things that we'll get to in, like, final thoughts. Because, I mean, I guess we can just say it right now. Uh, like, the three of us kind of had an eh time with the show. I don't think any of us, like, hated it or anything like that. So, you know, it, it's we just... We wanted to enjoy it more than we actually ended up doing so. Yeah. Yeah. Because this concept is really neat. It's just, it's just ho-hum in the execution. I described it on Twitter as Full Metal Alchemist meets stands, basically. So. Yeah, and that's like... That should be a formula for something incredible, but not so far, so, you know. Yeah. Uh... You listeners probably want to know what the show is about, however, so I have here a description from ANN. Fairies possess and reside within animals, granting them special powers. By surgically removing and transplanting the organs of a possessed animal into a human, humans can partially summon the fairy and use it as a weapon. 
Eventually, such individuals were used for war and were called fairy soldiers. After a long war, these soldiers lost their purpose and had to reintegrate into society. Nine years after the end of the war, Maria is a fresh recruit of Dorothea, an organization dedicated to the investigation and suppression of fairy-related crimes and incidents. Even in peacetime, the government is still unstable after the war. Many criminals still have lingering wounds from the previous conflict, and there are terrorist groups bent on revenge. Ooh. So basically, it's you get like an organ from a fairy possessed animal, and you basically get a stand. Hmm. Though they do look more like personas than stands. Yeah, it's like a it, it's like a steampunkish persona JoJo kind of thing. They didn't mention any this, this on my organ donor card. <laughs> Boy, I really should have read that fine print. What the hell is the Red Cross up to these days? Just remember to put red, rest in peace on your tombstone, otherwise you get drafted into the Skeleton War. <laughs> uh, but in any case, since this is an English dub, obviously we have English staff we need to talk about. Starting us off, we do have predictions for a lot of the characters coming up toward the end of the episode. But the director and scriptwriters are kind of a unique case here because the director just flat out announced themselves like as Funimation was announcing that they had this ship. So I don't think any of us really did predictions for the director or the scriptwriter. So in any case, our ADR director for Fairy Gone is Caitlin Glass. You would know Caitlin Glass from such shows as the 2019 reboot of Fruits Basket. Um, all three Garo anime, Lord Marksman and Vanadise, and Maria the Virgin Witch. She did, however, have some help on an undisclosed number of episodes with an assistant ADR director, and she is Morgan Garrett. Uh, Morgan Garrett has done assistant ADR directing on such shows as Nichijo, Endro, and Strike Witch's 501st Joint Fighter Wing Takeoff. And our scripts are from Clayton Browning, who has done shows such as Gridman, Hinamaru Sumo, Concrete Revolutio, and Boogie Pop and others. So starting with Lack, how did you feel about the direction and script writing? Um, I thought it was fine. Uh, I don't really have any complaints. I felt everybody was cast really well. Uh, I don't know if necessarily everybody had many distinctive voices. I, I tend to be a broken record about this, I, I'm aware, but it, it did kind of come across, and I think for this series it did kind of work, that everybody had pretty normal voices, nobody really had like, oh, like really outstanding voices compared to any of the other characters. I think everybody fit their roles pretty well. I'm trying to think of anything that stood out for me. There was a lot of narration in this dub, so... You kind of got to be ready to sort of, like, handle that. And I think that was handled pretty well because it, it can be kind of hard to really be able to sell a show on a lot of narration. And, like, I think the, the actors who had to do all that part were cast pretty well. As far as the lore is concerned, I mean, I don't know how well they pronounced everything, so... <laughs> I mean, let's be honest, sometimes even in the... Japanese itself. Yeah. 
because, like... So, sometimes the English dub actually pronounces things better than the Japanese. There are moments in the actual video of the of the show, the, the, the animation where the name Dorothea is spelled in, like, two or three different ways. Dope. So, yeah. But yeah, I would say this was a perfectly passable dub. I think, like... Well, I guess that's skipping ahead a little bit. As far as the direction is concerned, I think that was very... It, it was all passable. Um, nothing really necessarily stood out for me, but it, it it served what it was doing well. So I think that's kind of my thoughts. Yeah, I kind of ha have to mirror Lack here. It is not a dub that is going to really stand out well, but it is completely serviceable, and it does not... It, it is... It is inoffensive. Like, there is not one role I listen to in this show to where I'm like, wow, that actor really is out of place, or, or that performance does not sound good. They're all good. Um, not necessarily perfect. Uh, it's not going to win any awards. I like Caitlin Glass a lot as a director, and there's some of the dubs that she's done have been absolutely amazing, and some of them have just been okay, like this one. But that's one thing you can always rely on, Caitlin, is she is reliable, and she is, she is, uh, she has a very good track record. Like you can, you can depend on her to put out a performance, uh, or a, um, or a, to direct a dub, um, and have it turn out completely serviceable and decent. So, yeah, I mean, all the Garo dubs have been really good, from what I've heard. So, yeah. So yeah, it's it's inoffensive, and I can't really make any comments on the writing because a lot of it just goes over my head. Like I still don't know even know what the Black Tome does. I'm like, why is everyone trying to fight over this book? Yeah, I know. It's like it's like I I, I even though I haven't seen Ava yet, I was getting some Ava vibes. Of, <laughs> you guys are throwing a lot of lore here and yeah. not explaining. A lot it. of a lot of exposition without explanation. Does the bus run through here? <laughs> oh, I bet you ran out of ink, you bastards. I must have run away. I get it. Where the fuck would I go? It's funny that you mentioned the bus because the last PA Works show that Caitlin, dire Caitlin directed was uh, Sakura um, Quest. And uh, and it, it had a, a bus that was mainly featured on it heavily as well. Yeah. And just like that dub, I find it completely inoffensive and completely workable. So, that's... I can't really comment too much on the writing, but, I mean, it's it's a good-sounding dub, all three, all things considered. I largely agree with you guys. Like, this is... It's a good dub, in terms of direction and script writing. There is one character I'm kind of annoyed with in terms of dialogue choices, but I'll get to her when we when we get to her. Other than that, casting is pretty solid. I'm I'm pretty sure Caitlin Glass is putting a lot of work into Fruits Basket right now. So she needed a group of people to do Fairy Gone that she could depend on. Cause she I would assume considering Fruits Basket is like one of Funimation's tentpole franchises up there with like DBZ and Full Metal Alchemist back in the day. That has to be done right. So she's also doing 
fairy gone right now, so she just needs a group of actors that she can depend on to put really good performances down, and she's managed to, by and large, pull that off. But we'll be getting to, we'll be getting to individual performances as we get to them. So, other than one character, script writing is pretty good. Oh, there is one other thing that's it, it's kind of odd, but. And it's, it's also present in the Japanese language version. Certain sound effects are kind of played up a little too loud in the mixing. Like, particularly footfalls. You know, when a, when a person steps on, like, pavement. Those are a lot louder than I feel like they should be. And, like, sometimes it even gets in the way of the dialogue. Yeah, other than that, which, again, also present in the Japanese version. Um... Other than script writing for one character, that's all solid. Casting is fine. It's it's very much a Caitlin Glass dub, basically. Which is... I would say Caitlin Glass is one of the gold standard directors of Funimation right now. So, saying, oh, it's, it's an okay Caitlin Glass dub is like... This is still a pretty good dub for, for Funimation stuff, so... Good job all around basically is what I'm trying to say. Thumbs up, guys. You, you did good. Uh, so starting off with our cast of characters, we have sort of our sketchy boys. These three sort of have played the... They don't necessarily seem like antagonists right now, but they definitely give off that vibe of, oh yeah, they're up to some shit. So we have, we have two of the... They were basically five dukes who after the war were basically given like huge promotions and like a bunch of them just through randomly staging coups because they couldn't take the pressure or just being being pissed off and going absolutely bonkers like a bunch of them died and these two are the only two left and they are uh Laydon and Schwartz Diza which by the way yeah the names are gonna get weird this is this is definitely an anime set in Europe. And our last character is sort of... He's a fairy scholar, but he seems to have a very suspicious air to him, particularly involving the Black Fairy Tome. Yeah. I get the feeling a lot of Japanese authors, when they try to write for European or Western settings, just uh, you know randomly scroll through a thesaurus, throw a dart at it, and pick whatever last name they hit. Or, you know, it is, it's it's sort of the G Gundam thing. Right. Where they are trying to blatantly and deliberately bring up a character trait using the name. I'm still waiting you know, a, I'm still waiting for a Gundam character named Honey Blonde Afro. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, sort of a Schwartz Bruder type situation there. Anyway. Uh, Laydon is played by Kent Williams, who you would know as Qualm in Akka 13, the Supreme Kai in Dragon Ball Z and Super, and Perry in Space Dandy. Like, the bad guy who really doesn't get to do Ad much, except yell at Admiral Perry. Admiral Perry, thank you. I forgot his rank. I was about to say Commodore, but that's... that is a different person entirely. Uh, Schwarzdiza is played by R. Bruce Elliott, who you would know as Edward Teach, a.k.a. Whitebeard in One Piece. He is Doc Pixis in Attack on Titan, 
and the Bookman and D. Gray Man. And Makarov. Oh, yeah. Like, I could just sit here for the entire episode and name off our Bruce Elliott roles. I, I could do that for just about everybody in this cast. So, do forgive me if I sort of neglect characters that you really like from these people. Trust me, I deliberated on a lot of them. Anyway. Uh, Damien Karma is played by John Bergmeier, who you would know as Karama in Yu Yu Hakusho. Uh, Shigure in both versions of Fruits Basket. And he's Seishin Maroi in Shiki. Which, by the way, if you ever find that on Amazon, or, like, write stuff, or... Because sometimes they will find copies just that kind of snuck in the warehouse... Because it's out of print. Just, uh, yeah, it is very much out of print, and I don't know if that dub will ever stream again. I really hope it does. Anyway, off my soapbox. Black, how did you feel about our probably pro, uh, probably antagonists? Well, if I can probably remember them that well, uh... I mean, all the actors I really enjoy, it's just, these characters don't really show up that much, from what I recall, right? So, okay. All these actors are solid choices, though. They're, my lack of remembering them is not to reflect on the performances of the actors. It's got nothing to do with that. It's, it's just the characters weren't really in the show all that much, and they haven't done much to affect the plot, so I haven't really been able to examine them at a, on a critical level. But like I said, I love the actors. I think they're great. Yeah, um, I have to agree with Lack here. It's just that characters haven't really had much time to stew just yet. Um, I do think, I'm, hopefully they will be playing a bigger part in either the second half of this first season or hopefully in the second season coming out in October. It's really just too early to say. Um, what I will say is that Kent Williams as his character, he's apparently the big antagonist for our two female leads because he burned their village to the ground. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing what role I'm looking forward to seeing what part he plays in the future. Um, whether he had a logical reason for doing so, or if he's just a big jackass. Uh, and so, um, the performance among these three that stood out to me the most probably was um, John Bergmeier, because his character has such a, a mystery behind him that you can tell he's up to something, but you can't quite figure out what. And you don't know if he's doing it for the right reason or if he's doing it for um, to doing it to cause harm. So it'll be interesting to see what role he plays. But as far as the individual performances go, I agree with Lack. All three are strong casting choices. All three are very excellent and talented actors. And it'll we'll be looking forward to seeing how these characters develop in the later later in the series yeah Laydon kind of as I said he's kind of bookended the six episodes that we are using as a basis for this review he's definitely up to something 
and his motives are unclear, but for the time being, he seems like the bad guy of the moment. Our female protagonist and another female character of unknown affiliation both probably have an axe to grind with the guy. So they're, it definitely feels like they're setting him up for bigger things. And I like that Kent Williams kind of plays him kind of down to earth about it. And uh, I actually do really like uh, our Bruce Elliott as Schwarz, especially in the um, in the post credit scene of episode six, where he's sitting down with a bunch of military advisors talking about the... Um, the malfunctioning artificial fairy soldiers. And he's just like, oh, oh no. What a, you know, this is a big deal as he's secretly trying to hide a smile on his face. Oh no, what a tragic coincidence. Who could have seen this tragedy coming? My oh my, what a horrible thing to happen. Wink. Kind of sneaking the thumbs up in his general direction <laughs> with the with like a big shit eating grin perhaps an old friend by the way here is a 20 dollar bill underneath the table oh my how could this have gotten there perhaps an old friend like obi-wan kenobi i have no intention of taking it hint hint wink wink who has two thumbs and is definitely not up to anything <laughs> this guy <laughs> But yeah, it, I can tell he's going to be fun later. It's just kind of a bummer. He is not like absolutely fun right now, but I, I'm patient. I'm going to see where this goes. And like Lack said, I really, actually Lack and, and Hardy, I, I really like Damien's character arc right now. Like he is, de he is definitely up to something and his motivations are completely unknown, but he is definitely doing something with that black fairy tome once he gets his hands on it. Which we don't even really know what it does. Right, the MacGuffin. That will do something once he has it. I was gonna say whatever it is. But he, he just shows up randomly in, in episodes just commenting on, oh, they're all here. The Black Fairy Tome must be close. Just kind of devilishly rubbing at his at his stubble beard. I like that, and I, I really don't know if I can think of anything off the top of my head where John Bergmeier has played a mustache-twirling sort of antagonistic figure. I don't really even strike him. He doesn't really strike me as a as a ne'er do well as of yet, because we don't know what his motivations are. He might be uh, trying to collect it to do something uh, favorable, or to try maybe try to overthrow the government, or or do something good. Um, but we just we aren't clear on that yet. Yeah, though his. He seems to have some close affiliation with uh, Schwarz Diza, so I'm starting to suspect he's not entirely on the up and up, even if his intentions are pure. Again, we shall have to wait and see. Right. Hopefully, hopefully if the season picks up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, here we are speculating about where this show goes, so obviously there is something there that we're interested in. But yeah, John Bergmeier did a really good job as, uh, as Damien, uh, our blue... Bruce Elliott as Schwarz and Kent William as Laydon. So thumbs up, three solid performances. And let's move on to our next set of Ooh. This one's gonna be a fun one. Oh, is this the crazy guy? These are our again, sort of on the fence about whether they're actually good guys or bad guys, but they're definitely leaning toward ill intent. Uh first of all, we have Bittersweet, a.k.a. Sweetie, who seems to be a double agent for someone, who is also after the Black Fairy Tome for some purpose. And she's willing to use 
kind of nefarious means to get her hands on it. Uh, Patricia Pearl is, I would assume, a hitman. An assassin? Yeah, some sort of assassin. She does wet work, mm -hmm. basically. It uses her giant briefcase to do it. Yep, she's got a giant briefcase of stuff, like a big old knife, a, a hunting rifle. She's she's ready to go. And God forbid if her water isn't fresh. Oh, you give her stale water, you're going to catch one between the teeth. And, <laughs> oh God, how do I just... <laughs> God, Jonathan Jospierre. Mm, just a delicious, hammy character of just evil like he's probably like the first actual bad guy we've had in the show it's the rail tracer oh i should mention they all have fairies with different powers i i want to say patricius was the one that was the mist right or was that sweetie i don't even remember all i know was that jonathan's is the one that kept blowing stuff up yeah he, jonathan's blows up and stores stuff in his in his body when he pops like little satchels of oil and, and all that. And sometimes like daggers. And one of them has, has a fairy that basically emits a mist that whenever you damage the, the fairy's wielder or the fairy itself, that damage gets reflected onto you. And I can't remember the third one. Anyway, I'm, I'm really digressing here. So, Sweetie is played by Morgan Garrett. You would know her as Sophie and Gosick. Marie Torres in Joker Game, and Akira Mato in Tokyo Ghoul. Uh, Patricia Pearl is Alexis Tipton. You would know her as Pearl Fay in Ace Attorney. Saya Kisaragi in Blood Sea. And Kofuku in Noragami. Jonathan Just-Pierre is Jerry Jewell. You would know him as, as it Hardy mentioned, uh, Claire Stanfield, a.k.a. The Rail Tracer in uh, Bacano. He's Dio, just not that Dio, the robot Dio in Catching Sins. And he's also Kaoru Nagisa in the rebuild of Evangelion films. Uh, so, Lek, why don't you start us off? How do you feel about our probably actually the bad guys? Uh, probably the one who stood out to me the most was Jonathan, because this is kind of Jerry Jewel and his element. Uh, well, Sweetie, I got a serious, like, Fujiko Mine vibe off of the character. Um, and I think that's kind of how they played her, and I'm kind of glad they did that. Uh, for Patricia, we didn't see her that much, but she was fine. I, I do remember her. Like, she had a few memorable moments, so that must count for something. Uh, like, all the performances fit well. Uh, Jerry was kind of the standout of all these three. I feel like Sweetie needs a little more time to develop as a character before I can really, like, be interested in her. Because for right now, I don't know. She she doesn't feel like she has that much, you know, aside from, like, surface stuff. But for Jonathan, you know, crazy villains tend to, have to stand out anyway. And like I said, this is kind of what Jerry's good at. Uh, I mean, if you, you look at all the characters he's played, I mean, going back to freaking Barry the Chopper... I mean, which was one of his first roles. Like, this is kind of him just channeling his Barry the Chopper energy all over again. Yeah, that's pretty much what I have to say. Everybody was good. Uh, Jonathan stood out the most for me. Uh, and Sweeney and Patricia, I think, more need more time to develop his characters before I can really, like, say whether I truly enjoy their performances or not. But casting-wise, they're fine. 
W- would you say that she's sort of a Fujiko light? Yeah. I mean, that could make her like Angel from the Big O. Yeah, F- Fujiko light made with sweet and low more than bittersweet. Yeah. 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 Bad pun, sorry. Dilly dilly. Shilly shally. Yeah. But uh, no, um, I think, yeah, between the three, the most fun to listen to is definitely Jerry Jewel as Jonathan. Because if you've met Jerry Jerry Jewel in real life, he is very, very laid back and very chill and relaxed. And so when he plays these sort of crazy axe murderer killers, um, he's technically going against type for him because he's he's more used to just like the the really laid back and and chill sort of characters because those are more fitting of his personality so he's always fun to hear him sort of go nuts and 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 psychotic every now and then and his roles like like uh, the rail tracer or bury the chopper and so he was really fun to listen to it's too bad that he kind of gets axed like within the second episode that he's in because he was really fun to watch. That might be a problem with the show is they're getting rid of characters mm-hmm. too fast. So, I don't know. I mean, we only watched six episodes and there's already like a few dead characters. Right. Yeah. So. <laughs> and uh, Patricia didn't stand out too much other than her little one-liners about wanting fresh water and, and, uh, and, and whatnot. She kind of gets beat up and then runs off. So, uh, I think Alexis played her fine. Just like all the other roles are played here, um, she just didn't stand out as much as Jonathan did. Uh, Bittersweet, on the other hand, there's yet another Tomino name for you. (laughs) You're right, I didn't really notice the Fujiko Mine comparison until you pointed it out, Lack. But yeah, now that you mentioned it, it's definitely there. I'd say these are the type of roles that Morgan is best suited to play because of the little hint of mischief there and she's really able to to drive that sort of hey you know I'll flirt with you but I'm actually stabbing you in the back as we speak sort of roles I think she did really good here I'd like to see where they go with Sweetie as a character and so uh, once again we were only six episodes in and we don't know really where her allegiances lie Uh, whether she's doing this entirely for herself or whether she's doing it to help out one of the various factions of the government, who's to say? And so it'll be interesting seeing where we go from here. And it'll be interesting to see how Morgan's performance sort of shifts and alters uh, as, as the story goes on. They call her bittersweet, but she's actually completely fake like aspartame. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I really have to kind of go off on what you guys were, were saying about these three. Um, going to start with, with Sweetie, because there is one thing I've got to say. She is sort of the character I think the script's kind of... Yeah, on. Because um, a lot of the, the line choices kind of felt a little too modern for the uh for the setting of the show mm. like it, it kind of felt like she was speaking in a bit of a slangy tone that probably shouldn't have existed in like i want to say this is probably set in a sort of a pre-world war one kind of universe just from the like they have diesel and gasoline based engines for motorcycles and mm. they have they have trains they have 
bolt-action rifles, which were, weren't a thing until after the Civil War. Yeah. There's also that, which I can't... Like, they have regular motorcycles, and yet their their cars have, like... Why do they have... Why do they have... Why do they have cars with hands on them? I want to know. I like it, but I don't get it. Anyway, um, I just felt that her dialogue felt a little too on the nose for modern for a modern era instead of like I, I really don't want her to have like speakeasy slang added into her dialogue but like it, it just kind of felt it, it felt a little too modern I guess uh, I did really like what we got of Alexis Tipton's Patricia Pearl she she sounded like a snarky little brat throughout the whole thing and I, I really liked it especially as she's and she's sort of losing and has to run away. That was really fun. And, uh, whew, Jerry Jewell as Jonathan. Like, the guy is lobbing oil grenades at his opponents, and he's, like, singing opera at the same time. Like, that is a new level of ham I didn't expect to hear out of Jerry Jewell, and yet here it is. Like... I want to own Fairy Gone just for the scene where Jonathan is, like, singing baritone while lobbing, like, jars of oil at people and setting them on fire. It's just so beautiful. And, yeah, as, as Black and Hardy were saying, this is definitely outside of the actual person Jerry Jewell's wheelhouse but I really like it when he gets the opportunity to just go nuts because he does a really great job with it. And he's really, he's really fun. He's really charismatic. He's really hammy. It's just a shame that he gets like maybe an episode to himself worth of content before he ultimately dies. But man, that is a death. Like he's, his insides are basically turned to jelly, and he's just laughing the entire time. I haven't seen that much motor oil come out of a human body since I watched the last episode of School Days. It's funny you say that, because just today, Jack Septicai uploaded one of his funniest home videos things, and it was about the woman on My Strange Addiction who drinks gasoline. Not that I buy, not that I buy any of that as real, but, you know. But, yeah. Um, standout performances from all three maybe maybe tighten up the dialogue on sweetie a little bit but otherwise she's fine like i definitely get the the fujiko mine vibes that lack brought up like she is definitely a femme fatale probably in it for her own means but then who was phone but then why did she leave the book wait a minute if you're here and lacks over there who's driving the bus Ah! But yeah, thumbs up all around. A little bit of work is needed to be done for the home video, but otherwise, thumbs up. So moving on, we are starting to get into the Agents of Dorothy, or Dortea, I'm sorry. Actually, is it is it Dorothea or is it Dorothea? I think it might be Dorothea is how they pronounce it in the English dub. I think. We'll have to double check on that. Yeah, because I, I think in the in the subs it's uh, it's pronounced Dorotea. Uh, we have Nine Alar, who is basically the highest the highest ranking officer we have seen so far of the organization. Uh, she basically hands everybody out their assignments and also covers up the fact that uh, 
that Maria is a completely natural fairy soldier. Roots, I don't mean to to, to interrupt or, or correct you or anything, but you're forgetting there's an L in there. Oh, Marlia. There we go. I'm right. sorry. A, a lot of these names are just kind of... I think everybody's going to get a well acuity in this episode at least once. Yeah. But yeah, she's basically the highest ranking officer of the organization and like she hasn't done a lot yet I can definitely tell that she's gonna be a major player either in the second half of the first season or in the second I had to bring her up because I think the actor they paired with her is really cool anyway uh, Serge Tovai and Kara Kisanara is it Kisanana? Kisana okay Kisanana ugh I have such horrible handwriting. Curse these sausage fingers of mine. Yeah, like, all, all my notes are on paper, and it's just, like, my pen kind of dragged a little bit. Anyway, Kara and Serge are sort of, um, Finn Underbar, the, our main protagonist that we'll get to in just a sec. He's their, he's their backup. Um... Serge is a sniper who's, uh, whose fairy basically takes the form of a giant rifle. And Kara's fairy is basically a scout. She can send it out. It's largely undetectable by the human eye. And she can basically get sniper positions for Serge. Y'all starting to see the JoJo comparisons here, guys? Yeah, maybe just a bit. Anyway. Um, it's also... Not exactly subtext, but actual text that Serge has feelings for Clara and basically hits on her like every opportunity he gets and is constantly, I'd say, a varying degree of gently and not quite so gently turned down. Boy needs to learn how to keep his fingers to himself. Nine Aular is played by Colleen Clinkenbeard who you would know as Miriam, a.k.a. Mini C. Tachibana from Alice and Zoroku. Uh, she's Miranda Lotto from The Gray Man. And Ritsuko Akagi from the rebuild of Evangelion films. Uh, Serge Tova is Micah Solsad, who you would know as Best Genus in My Hero Academia. He's Yuichiro Hiyakuya in Seraph of the End. And he's also B in Space Dandy. Like, the actual competent bad guy. That was Mick Solson? Really? Yeah. I did not recognize him. Wow. Jeez. And, uh, Clara Kisanaria. Uh, she's played by Afia Yu, who you would know as Victory Diblaw in Gosik, Rita in Rage of Bahamut Genesis, and Boar in Gridman. So, Lack, why don't you start us off? Uh, okay. Uh, all solid actors here. Uh, again, not much to work with, honestly. They're they're they are a little more prominent in the show than the previous ones we've talked about, but which makes them a little easier to remember and, and makes them stand out a little bit more. Like I said, I did not recognize Mika Solisad at all as Surge, and I can usually like I can usually hear him. So I don't know. Maybe I was having an off day or whatever. But uh, sometimes he sounded like. Alejandro sobbed to me in a few places, but I don't know. What do I know? Um, Clara, she sounded fine. Uh, we really don't get to see her much in action until around episode six, as it turns out. Um, 
but she sounded good too. And and nine, not much in the show at all. Probably maybe less than some of the other characters we've talked about. Um, but Colleen Clinkenbeard is always a solid choice. She always brings her A game, even when it's like, you know, even when it's not really needed. Um, for I would say Serge and Clara stood out the most. Uh. And I would say they were solid picks. I'm trying to think of anything that kind of stood out. They they did have a they did have a bit of personality to their to their portrayals, and I did appreciate that. And admittedly, I didn't remember their names, but that's kind of on me. I just don't remember names that well. Yeah, Serge Tova. Sorry, I didn't remember Serge Tova, but um, yeah, no, they they stood out to me and. They, they they were memorable, and they had good actors behind them. So that's what I'll say. I pretty much have to agree with what Lack said, is that these characters, while they do have more screen time than some of the earlier ones we've talked about, they largely stay in the background except when they're needed. Um, I will say this, that Nine is definitely a Colleen Clinkenbeard performance for a Colleen Clinkenbeard-type character because she's played a lot of these types of characters in the past. I actually did make predictions for these three. Um, and for nine, I had Stephanie Young. But Colleen also works very well. Well, yeah, I mean, it's always going to be either Colleen Klinkenbeard or Stephanie Young. Mm -hmm. So, or Rachel Robinson if she's over or, or every <laughs> once in a while, even Lydia McKay every now and then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I think for the few scenes that we've seen her in, she is fine. She has a, sort of a demanding voice and uh, authoritative. And she she gets she gets what she wants and she don't want to hear no nonsense. So that's definitely a role that Colleen has excelled at in the past and continues to do so here. Um, as for the lovebirds, <laughs> let's see. Uh, for Serge, I had... Uh, Josh Greeley as my prediction, and for Clara, I had Brent April. Uh, obviously, they didn't get those here, but Micah seems to be having a lot of fun with his role. Uh, he seems to, he gets to play sort of like a little snarky jackass who hits on the girls a bit too much, and uh, he seems to be having fun with it, even though Serge hasn't really made too much of an impact on the show so far. Uh, Clara has made a bit more of an impact, considering she's had to go with Marlia on two different missions, dolled herself up to do so, in fact. And um, she seems to just be done with Sergis's crap. She's just had it up to here, and she's not going to take anything from him. And I think Afia you really brings that out in her voice, her level of annoyance with him. So they're all really good performances all around. So, as it turns out, I actually did have predictions for these two. I just checked on my notes. Um, for Clara, I had um, Erica Mendez, and for Serge, I had Christopher Lewin Ramirez. Oh, and I also had um, Beth Lipton for Nainora. But we'll we'll do that formally in the in our final sections. But just thought I'd put that out there. Anyway, um, I really like uh, Colleen Klinkenbeard is nine. Like, her voice actually in terms of like voice fitting 
the character design, hers probably is probably one of the most accurate in my mind in the show. Like, now I can't I can't see scenes with her even when I'm turning it back over to the Japanese and I can't think of anybody else but Colin Clinkenbeard in the part. And when you can manage to get a performance like that, even when you've really only said, like, a handful of lines in the course of six episodes, that's really something. And as for Afia and Micah, I really like the energy they have playing off of each other like it is it is clear that the both of them are having a lot of fun with their characters I really like the sort of mini character arc Clara got in episode 6 with the uh, with the train heist Ugh, like that was really fun sort of like a cat and mouse game mm, yeah and it's uh I really also kind of like her backstory with Nine as well, that you sort of get little hints at that she was basically the survivor of a massacre of her town, and Nine came... Nine was one of the soldiers who pushed back the people who did this to her and basically offered her a home when she was just a little orphan kid. I, I really like that for some reason. But yeah, I'll... And as much as uh, Micah hasn't had much of a prominent role in the show, as much as Clara did, I really like that he's sort of cocky and headstrong, especially since he's a sniper. Like, that feels like a fitting personality trait for him. But yeah, all three of them did a really great job. I can't wait to see where the three of them go in the in what we have left of the series. Mm -hmm. And the second half in October. And the second half in October. Sometimes I forget they're actually doing that, but yeah. anyway, I digress. Yeah, it was originally meant to be like one one solid uh, half-year-long season, but then they split it after and decided to split it later. Uh, so next up, we're now dropping our groups of three to groups of two. Uh, we have Veronica Thorne, who is a survivor of the same village as uh, Marlia, and she um, she ends up gaining fairy soldier powers, and her and her fairy blood daughter uh, can enter into people through their wounds and basically damage them from the inside out. It's very nasty. Oh yeah, they spit up like black blood. It's mm -hmm. Kind of badass. Yeah. Her motives are currently unknown. Uh, she is very clearly after Late Dawn because he massacred her village. And that's basically all we know. She's basically an assassin right now working for some unknown forces. Mm -hmm. She's also working with John Bergmeier's character. To a degree. Mm -hmm. That we don't know yet. Yes. And then we also have uh, Wolfron Lowe who is an ex-fairy soldier for the uh, for the military who fought alongside Free Underbar in a bunch of missions. And he has a fairy named Fitcher. And Fitcher, from my understanding, doesn't necessarily have a power. He just has, like, six blades 
which is a little overkill if you ask me, other than against fairy soldiers, but you know. Mm -hmm. If you've got it, flaunt it. If you gotta flaunt it. I wonder if he's overcompensating for something. <laughs> uh, and it's it's implied that he and Free have some sort of history and somewhat bad blood. Yeah. Yeah, they fought alongside each other. Yeah, and something happened after they after their side lost their war and they're basically like not on speaking terms anymore less on speaking terms more at th uh, swinging swords at each to each other's faces terms mm, yeah maybe just a little bit mm -hmm. he is no longer invited to the barbecue and he's also working with uh schwarz Diza to some capacity probably cooking up some sort of coup or something uh so did we have predictions for these two because i know i did I had a couple, actually. Very low-hanging fruit. Uh, I see an angry, douchey, blonde-haired guy. I immediately think of Eric Vale. And, okay. And for uh, Vare, I know that she likes to cast herself as, in pretty prominent roles in her own dubs, and so I came had Caitlin Glass. Hmm. Black, do you have anything? Nah. Nah, I didn't have any predictions. So. I kind of went with a an actor with kind of a lower register for Wolfron because I had the feeling he was going to be sort of sort of grizzled. Um, I ended up going with Christopher Sabat. Huh. And for Veronica Thorne, because she was obviously going to play sort of the femme fatale assassin, I ended up going with Alexis Tipton. Uh, but in any case... Uh, we are both incorrect with this. Uh, Veronica Thorne is played by Emily Neves, who you would know as Angel, a.k.a. Kanade Tachibana from Angel Beats, uh, Umaru Doma from Himoto Umaru-chan, Ringo Ogano... Hola! <laughs> Potato chips. Oh, God. That dub is so much fun. Uh, Ringo Ogenome from Penguin Drum. And Judy Rays in Steins Gate Zero. And Wolfron Lowe is played by David Matranga, who you would know as Luke in Garo Vanishing Line. Uh, he is also Briarios in the Appleseed franchise. The whatever was done in Texas, he has been played by David Matranga. Like there's a there's an OVA and there's a dub of the uh, first movie that were done in like I think New York but anyway mm -hmm. uh, he it was Jameson Price was originally Briarios okay mm -hmm. if I I may be incorrect but I think the first two leads for um, for Dunan and Briarios I may be incorrect in this but I think they were Amanda Winley and Jameson Price I may be wrong I have to double check that yeah that's that's pretty solid in any case mm-hmm uh, he's also Bertolt Hoover in the Attack on Titan franchise. Shoto Todoroki in My Hero Academia. Uh, so, Lack, why don't you start us off? Well, uh, again, I hate to sound like a broken record, but it is funny how the more important characters we get to, the less screen time they actually have. I would, I would say, though, I, I did like both of these performances. I thought they were both 
pretty strong. For Veronica, we, we don't really see her aside from like the first and second episode, and I believe the fifth, is that right? Yeah. And Wolfran, we don't really see him until like the third and fourth. Oh, he's in the first at the very beginning. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the flashback. But he doesn't speak. Yeah. Uh, but... You know, they're, they're good. They're, they're great choices. Uh, I think for, like, Sweeney and Patricia, we just need to see more of them to really get a good idea of their full performances. But as far as the scenes that they're in, I think they're really strong. I think these were both good, good actor choices for the characters. I don't know what much I have to say. I think David Matranga was a good actor to play against uh, who plays Free Underbar, which we'll get to in a minute. Um, yeah, and I, th I think the choice for Veronica played against Maria really well. And that's really all I have to say, honestly. You know, again, Lack is correct in that despite these characters being very important to the story, they don't have all that much screen time compared to our two leads. And so when they don't have a lot of screen time, you really can't judge their performances very well. But uh, I think they both did a very good job in their respective roles. Wolfren, you can kind of tell how just like tired and grizzled and just completely worn out and a man with nothing left to lose. He just doesn't care anymore. And I think Matranga really brings that to his performance in the role. As for Ver, as for Ver, you can just sort of there's almost like this sense of just hopelessness in her voice like and yet there's still a heart there because she wants things to go back the way they were with Marlia and yet she knows that can't happen until she has her goals till she feed it feet till she reaches her goals it's like this this sort of desperation of 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 wanting wanting to go back to the way things were but yet you just can't and I think you that really shows in in Emily Neve's performance of the character. I hope we get to see more of her. I hope we get to see her open up more and be a little bit more emotionally in, investing instead of this sort of cold, stoic facade that she's putting on for the time being. Now, that's really all I have to say. Yeah, I um, in terms of David Matranga's Wolfron, I do like what we had of him so far. Like, basically, he's done a bunch of, like, backroom deals with shady types and has been domestic more... terrorists yeah domestic terrorists mafia and has basically fought a little bit indirectly with free and i i sort of like the antagonistic dynamic between the two and on the same vein i really like the same dynamic with Veronica and Marlia. Like, Marlia very clearly wants to be with Veronica again, and that it's something that, for a reason we have not been fully informed of yet, she can't do it. I'm assuming it's some sort of pact she made to pull off the assassination that is coming back to bite her. That she doesn't want Marley involved in. But she probably will be anyway. Right. Because that's... Because it really do be that way sometimes. 
but yeah, I I really like Emily Neves's kind of stoic, quiet performance of of Veronica and David Matranga sort of as the tired kind of like like Hardy and Lack were saying he has nothing left to lose but nothing really to gain. He's Max Payne with a fairy or a stand. <laughs> fairy stand. Yep. Hey, Japan, I just gave you a, uh, a title for something. Go use it. Hire me, Square. <laughs> but yeah, David Matrenka is sort of the tired, grizzled soul ex-soldier. Kind of the um, boss from Metal Gear Solid 3. Right. Because she basically was involved with a lot of operations and did a bunch of stuff she didn't really want to do. and All for the good of God and country. Yeah. More or less. Now that I think about that dynamic, there's a little bit of a Heart of Darkness vibe coming from the relationship between Free and Wolfron that I'd really like to see pursued in the 18 episodes I think that we have left of the show. But yeah, Emily Neves and David Matranga did a really great job thumbs up yay uh so now we are at our final group of characters uh marlia noel the survivor of the aforementioned village massacre she has been looking for her dear friend veronica for many many years and joined uh dorothea essentially to find her and when she does she has decided not to give up on saving her from whatever she has managed to do to herself. And we have Free Underbar. Like with Wolfron, he is an ex-soldier from a nation that lost the huge civil war that broke out ten years before. And essentially, in order for him to survive, he ended up joining the organization Dorothea, where he he is more or less one of their more hands-on, I would say, operatives. He goes undercover with... He gets shit done. <laughs> yeah, he does... He does get shit done. Uh, he's often seen going undercover in mafia-type organizations and, like, the, the terrorist groups. Infiltrates from within, figures out the shady fairy shit these organizations are doing, and then busts it. Uh, so, Hardy. Yes? Obviously, you had predictions for these two. Um, what you got? Well, I had the obvious one, which ended up being right for free. Um, but I also wanted to not have it be so obvious, so in addition to the one that it turned out to be, I I actually kind of wanted to hear Alejandro sob in this role. Hmm. Yeah. And also because I really, 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 really want to see him get a lead role sometime, I also put Marcus Stemmick here. Okay. And for Marlia, the first person who came to my mind was Alexis Tipton, because... This character reminds me a lot of the character that Alexis played on Sakura Quest. And that's for good reason, because it's by the same animators. So that's who popped into my head. But then again, um, who actually turned out to be free was who I expected it to be. Okay. Um, I actually kind of had the opposite of you, where I one of my predictions for Marlia ended up being the correct one. Uh, my other was uh, Trina Nishimura. Uh, and as for Free Underbar, I only had one prediction for him. Uh, mainly because the actor actually shows up in a in a show we will probably be 
talking about here in the kind of upcoming future. I, I definitely promised it in an earlier episode that I was going to do it, so I should probably get around to it. Mm -hmm. uh, and that is... Um, it's also somebody I really wanted to see in more anime dubs for a while, and he largely works with uh, Caitlin Glass, so I put in for free under bar Ivan Jasso. Ah, Hasso. Hasso. Ivan Hasso. Ivan Oh my god. He's, he's, yeah, he's Latino. They call him Ivan Jasso for the past. Oh, I am so sorry. Yeah, no, he uh, pronounces it on the Garo comp commentary i believe it's ivan hasso okay ivan hasso okay Oof. uh so obviously hardy and i each got one of these roles correct so playing uh marlia noel is jill harris who you would know as arabella fiora in the overlord franchise she's noel silva in black clover rika takarada in gridman and Kei Nitori in Boogie Pop and Others. Uh, Free Under Bars, played by Ian Sinclair, who you would know as Bartroy in Black Clover. Zap Renfro in Blood Blockade Battlefront. Uh, Sosuke Yamazaki in Free Eternal Summer. And Saichi Sugimoto in Golden Kamui. How'd you feel about these two? They were both excellent. Uh, Ian Sinclair is always a strong choice, and so is Jill Harris. And I think they uh, they fit uh, roles extremely well. I mean, you look you look at a character like Free, and he is ex Ian Sinclair is one of the names that comes to mind when you think of characters like that. They did have some depth, and these characters did have some depth compared to the other ones. And considering they were the main characters, they should. And they picked the right actors to be able to expand on that depth, because you have to have very strong presences when you're. When, when you have main characters. And li like I said earlier, n none of the voices were really super distinctive from one another, but I think that's okay. And even so, I think the two main characters, while they had very normal voices, I think that they stood out and their voices reflected the personalities of the characters very well. You've got Jill Harris's performance as uh, Marlia, which is um, very methodical, very... Uh, you know, it's it's a little naive, but it's also very book smartish and very curious. And I think her voice uh, personified that well. And you've got Free, who's very militant and very broken and sort of cynical. And Ian, in spite of the fact that he's none of those things in real life, um, you know, he he has a great voice for that sort of personality too. So that's that's kind of that's kind of my overall thoughts. No, I definitely agree. Um, even though I would say that these are both safe choices, more, much more so in, especially in the case of Ian Sinclair, um, they're both strong choices. Like you can tell, it's not. It's I don't know if they actually had to audition for these parts or if Caitlin just asked them to be in there because they know she knows how to work with them. But they both feel like characters that they are that both actors are used to playing and can play very well. And so that is why that is why sometimes you get a casting that maybe not be as imaginative or or out of off the wall like something you would expect um and it's because they these actors know what to do for these types of characters. They know how to play them inside and out. 
and while it may seem boring at first, it's definitely effective. And that's sort of my apparent opinion on the dub of Fairy Gone as a whole is that it's not the best thing out there, but it's the super effective. So, I, I don't really have much to say other than Free Underbar is definitely an Ian Sinclair. That is definitely Ian Sinclair playing an Ian Sinclair character. And I think Jill has this sort of spunkiness that she gives to Marlia that is sort of adorable. And by the way, we forgot that we have to bring up Bren April's little mouse rat thingy. So, oh, yeah. Like the little fox. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Whatever that thing's name is, is it's Bryn April making un- inhumanly high-pitched noises. So, something that she is actually very talented at. So, yeah, I think I think her main roles were were done well, even if it's not the most adventurous casting. It it, it turned out a good quality product. Hmm. Yeah, I have to agree with you guys. Um... Obviously, these are very safe choices for characters like Marley Unfree, but considering that Caitlin Glass is also, as I mentioned before, directing the reboot of one of Funimation's tentpole franchises, pretty much since they really started getting into licensing anime not titled Dragon Ball... Um, like, this has to be a dub where she can get people involved that she can really trust to get into these characters' shoes quickly and sort of really bring out what makes them special. And, and, like, this is especially the case with Free and Marlia because they, they are our two protagonists. They show up. Pretty much every episode. I mean, they kind of have to, but, you know. Um, they have to go through a lot more of a character arc than everyone else. It's going to develop a little more slowly, and I think that's a lot of the show's problem in and of itself. But, mm-hmm. uh, so far, they have done a very effective job. Ian Sinclair is sort of the stoic and cynical ex-soldier and Jill Harris as the as the determined but naive uh, almost and almost at times childish in her ambitions kind considering of. that she, she's dealing with having a fairy for the first time and she doesn't quite know the ins and outs of how to effectively use right. it. Right. She obtained her her fairy, like, via natural means. She doesn't have, like, the... The, the organ. gross kind of animal organ in her body, like, somewhere, you know, shuffled in between the spleen and the pancreas somewhere. You know, there's, there's a little room in there. But, like, she now also has to deal with the fact that she has a fairy, and it drains her significantly whenever she uses it. So, she's... Jill Harris has to play a character that's learning a lot very quickly. Not to mention everything going on about the Black to- Black Fairy Tome that even we, the audience, don't know everything about. Like, there are probably very few characters who actually do, because it's 
Like, it's one of those mysterious little MacGuffins that somebody wrote a couple hundred years ago and just, it ended up going missing. But yeah, the Ian Sinclair and Jill Harris did a really good job with the materials they were given. Uh, they play the characters very well and play off of everyone else that they have to interact with very well. So these two get a very solid thumbs up. And I believe this ends up moving us into final thoughts. So, Lack, how did you feel about Fairy Gone? Summing up what I basically said through the whole night is that there's nothing wrong with this dub. It's perfectly good. It's got competent people at the reins. Um, and I think the fact that it's not as recognizable or as memorable is more due to the anime itself than the actual dub. And again, I know that I say that a lot, but... I really wanted Fairy Gone to really blow me away, and it really hasn't done that. Now, granted, I'm only six episodes in, and I'll try to come back to it at some point. But it really hasn't, like, grasped me in a way that I really hoped it would, because it's a beautiful-looking show, aside from the dodgy kind of CGI. But all around, the characters fit are fit well with their voices. Everybody gives... At least, at least a passable performance to a good one. And considering so much lore is being thrown at the audience at once, I, I sympathize with the dub uh, runners because of the fact that they have to keep up with all that stuff. And they're kind of just trying to follow along as best as they can, almost as much as we are. So I respect that a lot, and I think they deserve a lot of credit for that. So I will say this, thoughts. that when I started watching Fairy Gun, I was really, really excited because it looked really nice. Other side, Outside of the occasional janky CGI fairies, of course. Um, but yeah, over my experience with the show, I'm like, just get to the point. Get to the point. Stop exploring. Stop expositing and start explaining. Stop telling us and start showing. You know, just... We don't even know what the Black Fairy Tome does. The, it, the whole story seems to be revolved around this book and or pages of the book, and we don't know why. It's apparently some big deal, and, and I'm completely confused about what it actually does. So... Hopefully, the show will pick up a pace uh, in the second half of this season and the second half airing in October. But yeah, it's that's the show's own fault. It's The dub itself is really good, and visually, the anime is a joy. It's like a really pretty woman with a really pretty voice that has absolutely no personality. But anyways, I'm I'm not I'm gonna keep up I'm gonna keep watching the rest of Fairy Gone. And I'm gonna stick with it. Hopefully it improves. But as far as the dub is concerned, it is a good job. Well done. Uh, they did the best with the material that was available to them. And let's hope that they're able to keep things going for the rest of it. Yeah, I'm largely going to agree with you guys. I had initially signed up to host the episode for Fairy Gone, like, I think it was like a day or two before it actually started airing, and I I started it up 
really excited, and then, like, I don't want to say I was disappointed by the first episode, but it definitely, I got the sense it was going to move a lot slower than I was hoping it would, especially after it was announced that it would be getting 24 episodes. Like, I had figured what we are getting, like, what we had reviewed today would have been the content we had received in the first three episodes instead of six. I guess I could put your feelings, your feelings of sort of disappointment into, where's the kaboom? There was supposed <laughs> to be an earth-shattering kaboom. Well, you compare it to, like, Dororo, which has, in spite of had, like, 26 episodes, has moved its plot along extremely well at a great pace. Right, so. and, like, in that case with Dororo, uh, the manga actually kind of daughters a bit. Since I, I picked that up at Anime Boston, and I've been checking it out every now and again, and that that's actually kind of glacial and pacing compared to the anime, which is, from what I understand, is doing a really good job if not, like, oh, really think about it. It's my favorite of the year, yeah. so... And then as far as pacing goes, you have shows like Garo Vanishing Line, which kicks you straight in the teeth in episode one and leaves you begging for more. Oh, God. That is one of my favorite first episodes of anime ever. I don't care what you say. Fight me. And it is a sequel, so there yeah. is precedent for it to kind of just go, like, from the get-go. So. But, yeah, the in terms of the dub the casting here is extremely solid if i dare not even call this safe because like i've been saying caitlin glass is also directing fruits basket at the same right. time which is probably in the in the echelon of what funimation is dubbing this season that is probably the one that they are putting a lot of eggs in this fruits basket a lot of mm. rice balls. <laughs> I have a lot of respect for Caitlin Glass to be able to to do something that is presumably that high pressure and then turn around and also have this kind of high concept PA work steampunk show going at the same time with a different cast with a different tone, different pacing, and still be able to keep the both of them up. So... Like, I have to give a lot of props to everybody involved, because this is, all things considered, with how big this season has been, and how big next season is looking to be, since, as of recording right now, we only have one new show announced at Funimation, which is uh, Fire Force, and we don't know what they're going to be able to get, what Crunchyroll's going to be able to get, and... I have a lot of respect for Caitlin Glass being able to... Oh, wait. Summer doesn't even matter. <laughs> I forgot. It... Actually, even more importantly, the second season of Fairy Gone is going to be running up against My Hero Academia in the fall. Oh. Oh, my. Which I know... Good luck with that. Which Caitlin Glass isn't going to be involved with in terms of uh, direction, more than likely. But you never know. A lot of respect for scriptwriter, direction, actors, sound mixing guys, even though I think the uh, 
the footfall and footstep sound effects need to be toned down a little bit if it's if it's even possible with the music and effects track. But other than that, like really great dub for a show that I really hope picks up soon because it's I don't think it's going to be a show that I'm going to drop because I'm I've already invested 6 episodes worth of time into, but I just really hope that the ending of at the very least the first half of the show isn't going to disappoint. Uh, so with that, if you are interested in checking out Fairy Gone, uh, the subversion is available on Funimation Now and Hulu, and the, the dub is also available on Funimation Now. Funimation does offer a two-week free trial if you happen to not like the service Funimation is offering. Be sure to cancel your subscription before that two weeks is up, or you will be charged for a month. And Hulu is Hulu basically mm -hmm. like it's it's a service you're, you're you're either gonna love or hate so but hey it's got king of the hill but it's got king of the hill and soon it's gonna be yeah. the only streaming site where you can get king of the hill it's also one of the few places you can watch venture brothers which is where i binged it all mm. so but yeah i think that's running what 10 10 bucks a month i want to say ish I forget how much I pay for it. I think it's like eight or something. Okay. But then I get commercials. Yeah. Like, there's also a plan without commercials, but that's like... That's actually, like, really expensive compared to, like, other streaming services. So I... I I'd put up with the commercials, personally. Uh, so, if you are interested in the stuff we are doing, you're probably watching this on YouTube right now. So, if this is, like, an embedded video... Uh, click the YouTube button down below, and there's information on the Dub Talk podcast on that page. Uh, hit subscribe and ring the bell. It it helps us out, like, a lot when you are able to get notifications of when our episodes come up. Because YouTube is being YouTube. And uh, you can also find us on Twitter at Dub Talk Podcast. Uh, we also have a Twitch account that we occasionally do, like, Jackbox games on. And I think we were planning on branching out into other stuff. I, I can't remember. Uh, and if you want to drop us a, a coffee, uh, we have a link down below as well. Uh, so now is the time where we will individually plug our wares. So, Lack, why don't you start us off? Okay, well, you can find me mostly on Twitter and YouTube. For Twitter, I mostly retweet cool fan art and just fun stuff. I try to stay positive on my Twitter, because I know Twitter can be kind of a cesspool of negativity. So, uh, I try to just post fun stuff. Um, but for my more, like, pr proactive stuff, you can find me on YouTube at LiamAC slash LackTheWatcher where I'm currently doing anime reviews and just cool, just stuff that I think is interesting, and I kind of do these mini-docs. Recently, I just did one about Alexander Aja's failed Cobra movie, which, please check it out, and please leave a like if um, that would really help me out. And uh, I'm currently working on one, since I'm kind of actually close to getting it done, because I just, the script is almost done. I'll go ahead and announce it. It might already be out by the time this episode is out. I don't know. I'm going to be talking about the artistic influences of Hirohiko Araki. Ooh. So I'm going to kind of go into the history of the three men who influenced Araki the most when he was designing his characters and poses and color schemes and all that stuff. It's actually going to be a lot of fun. It's It's been really interesting to look up these guys. And um, yeah, that's pretty much me. 
You've had my curiosity, Lack. Now you have my interest. Also, um, uh, I'm part of a team back at a, a uh, game jam that made an, a, a sci-fi Atome game called The Far Rings. It'll, uh, I think we're trying to get it on Steam right now, but uh, I haven't kept up super well with the progress of that. But there you go. <laughs> As for me, you can find me lurking over on the Twitters. Um, fair warning, I do retweet a lot of fan art. And so you're probably going to be seeing a lot of Tifa Lockhart on my account. Ooh, I wonder why. <laughs> yes, yes. The remake trailer happened. It is a thing, and it is a glorious thing. March. So, and so, yeah, I do retweet a ton of fan art, so if that's not your thing, then... I also seem to uh, get really ranty at times and, and, and curse and stuff, so that's always fun. Uh, if you want to hang out with me not on Twitter, I'm also a moderator over at the Funimation forums and Funimation Discord, if you'd like to visit there. Um, that's pretty much it. And you can find me, Roots of Justice, on Twitter, at Roots of Justice, where I mainly uh, retweet cute animal pics. Like, I, a lot of pugs. I tr I'm trying to mix things up a little bit as well with kittens and St. Bernard puppies. I, I, and pandas. And pandas. Lots of pandas. Like, I really do really like St. Bernard puppies as well. They're just big, doofy doofs. Um, I'm also working on some solo spinoff projects that I'll probably be running through my YouTube at some point. I have my I have a script for a, a pilot that's, like, halfway done. It's going to be kind of an interesting thing, I hope. So, hopefully I'll have something up. I want to aim for, like, end of summer-ish. Like, September, maybe early October to drop it. So, keep an eye out for that. Uh, so, with that, I believe uh, the Dub Talk episode of Fairy Gone is done. Would you say it's Fairy Done? Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> That's a bad Fairy Gone. <laughs> Stop making that large <laughs> racket. Okay. So, we had a lot of fun here, but it is time for us to be very gone. Oh. See, I can uncle pun myself. Just not in public. <laughs> no. Not in public. So, from us at the Dub Talk Podcast to you, we would like to wish you a good evening. And do taco on there, Debas.